Well, he is risen. Amen. Well, we are delighted that you are here today. It is so good to see our house of worship uh, filled on this uh, Easter Sunday. And, uh, you know, I can't help but feel like the weather has kind of been an illustration of the Easter story, right? I mean, could Friday and Saturday have been any grayer and windier and cold and dreary? And then Sunday's a coming, right? As they used to say, I say it's Friday, but Sunday's a coming. And uh, meteorologist Chuck uh, Lofton, I heard him say on Friday morning, he says, Easter Sunday is going to be magnificent. And it is a magnificent story. And the weather illustrates that for sure. We've had just a great spring season here. The, uh, just the amount of efforts that went into prepping uh, our campus here to make it its very best for the biggest celebration that we have of the year uh, is an act of worship, and uh, I was excited about that. I was excited about the way our congregation embraced some of our communication pieces this year so we could invite our community to come in and get in on what we are also very excited about. I was um, just overwhelmed uh, by the quality of excellence that went into our, our uh, journey to the cross um, experience on Friday evening. If you were able to be a part of that, uh, you know what I'm talking about. It was incredible and just a powerful reminder of the sacrifice that Jesus made uh, for us. And then the breakfast this morning and the sunshine, and here we are, praise the Lord. Uh, I heard about one Easter when an Uber driver and a preacher arrived at Heaven's Gates and they were ushered to their uh, prospective dwelling places, and uh, they came first to the Uber driver's mansion, and I mean, it was spectacular. I, it, it was a huge mansion with all of the best possible amenities, big in-ground swimming pool, fantastic, and the Uber driver was excited, and the preacher was all the more excited because he knew his was coming next, and he thought in comparison, you know. And so they went on down their way, and the usher took him to a small, very humble one-room tent with a cot in it and a bucket of water. He was shocked. He couldn't believe it. He said, oh, I don't understand. The Uber driver had such a nice mansion, and this is, this is my reward? And the usher said, well, you have to understand, while you preached, people slept. While he drove, people prayed. <laughs> so. I went searching for a little Easter humor and found that, and I thought, what does that have to do with Easter? And when I reread it, it just said that's when they arrived at Heaven's Gates was on Easter, and I thought, that'll preach. <laughs> well, here's, uh, I'll just, right up front, here's the bottom line of our, of our time together, our message uh, this morning. Everything changes when we recognize Jesus as our risen Lord and Savior. Everything changes in that moment. And last week, for those of you who were here with us, you'll recall that we kind of ended there. We didn't kind of. We ended in uh, John chapter 20, uh, verse 10. We got uh, Peter and John had arrived at the empty tomb at Mary's uh, excitement and concern, and they found the body of Jesus missing, and they didn't fully understand what it was all about. It says John believed, but he didn't, didn't understand the fulfillment of the Old Testament uh, predictions about Jesus, and they kind of went home. End of story till today. We pick up with verse 11. This is love, forgiveness. We see what it's all about. 
Mary Magdalene, who had gone running to find John and Peter and had told them, the tomb is empty, they've taken his body, and I don't know where they've laid it. And John and Peter had run to the tomb. John ran faster than Peter, and he arrived there first. He was more reserved and respectful and reverent and stood at the entrance to the tomb, just kind of gazing inside. Peter arrives on the scene, catches up with him, and of course, as Peter would do, goes straight right on into the tomb and examines everything. John eventually goes in with him. They check it all out and, and, and so forth. What I sometimes forget is that Mary also eventually caught up with them. They ran on ahead of her, I'm sure, because they were so excited. When she arrives, much like John's response when he got there, she stands outside the tomb and she also gazes inside and she checks it out. And here's what it says in the verses 11 through 18. It says, Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb. She saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head, the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? She said, they've taken the Lord away, and I don't know where they've put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? (laughs) How many people know that he already knew? (laughs) Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned toward him. She cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord, exclamation point. And she told them that he had, what, that he had said these things to her. Mary immediately turned around to see Jesus, and she assumed that he was the gardener. We still struggle to recognize Jesus today. Because of our assumptions about him that get in the way of his reality. Jesus, I want you to know, is very much alive and he is real. We're told a lot about him in the New Testament. So you can't really form your own opinions of who you think Jesus is by the conclusions that you jump to that conform with your current situations and our, our current culture. Real people are just who they are, Right? I mean, you can't just subjectively kind of decide what color hair you feel like so-and-so has. They either do or they don't have that color hair or those color eyes or that particular height or build. And Jesus is real, and so he's not a figment of our imaginations, and, and he is not subjective to our misinterpretations of who we think he might be. Mary just automatically assumed that he was the gardener. You hear people start a sentence today with, well, my God, this or that, or my God uh, isn't this or that. But God is not a fictional character in a book that we are, a fictional book that we are writing. God is real. Jesus was alive in the flesh and standing right in front of Mary. And he's just as alive today. Now, in all fairness to Mary, my goodness, didn't she have a lot going on? (laughs) And can you imagine She's overcome with grief and the shock over the horror of the crucifixion. Her adrenaline is up over the apparent desecration of his grave. 
She's exhausted over running to seek Peter and John's help. And now they've gone back home and left her there. And then she sees angels. And remember that the soldier's response to the angels was to fall face down as if dead in fear. These are Roman soldiers. Now, there stands Mary before the risen Savior and limits his reality to the assumption that he is just the gardener there to take care of the cemetery. But what changed it? What changed it for Mary? The moment Jesus called her name, that's all he says. Mary, imagine him saying your name. Shauna, Bob, Tom, Jim. The moment he says your name, the realization of who Jesus is as our risen Lord and Savior changes everything. He knew her name. When you recognize Jesus and the fact that he knows your name, it changes everything. A light switch flips on in Mary's brain, and her response in that, in that very moment is to cry out to Jesus, Rabboni, which means my teacher. It's come to be known today as, as a title for respected Jewish experts of the of the law of Moses. But in her time, it had an even greater significance for her because to Mary, Rabboni had, had a personal acknowledgement of who Jesus is. Jesus had said that that title should be reserved for the Christ alone. So when she turned around, as, it, he, as he said to her, Mary, and she, she responded, Rabboni, it was her way of saying, it is you, you are the Christ, you are he, and she grabs him so tight, I picture he can hardly catch his breath because she's, she's clinging to him so tightly. One of the stations at this year's journey to the cross instructed participants to put a red dot on their hand. And that red dot was to represent the suffering of Jesus by his stripes, by the, the whipping marks on his back. We are healed and his brokenness on the cross, the perfect lamb of God, a sacrifice for me and for you. His blood, not spilled, but poured out. For you and for me, intentionally. No one took his life. He gave it, and he gave it for every single one of us. That's love. Love is forgiveness. And this changes everything. And that red dot reminds me that he did this for me. And we were instructed to write our name over the red dot on our hand. And so this morning I darkened the red dot and rewrote my name as a reminder that just as Jesus said Mary, he has said Sean, and it gets real personal when the king of all creation knows my name, that he loves me so much that he has given me my very own thumbprint. None of you have the same thumbprint I have. <laughs> Those of you who know a little bit about criminal law and so forth, you know, I mean, DNA doesn't lie, and it can identify every one of us. And if it's unique for every one of us who's alive now, multiply that out because it's, it's true of everyone who's ever lived or ever will live on the earth. You are the only you God has. <laughs> and he, he says to you, your name. Do you recognize him? 
for who he is? Can you, can you cry out to him, Jesus, you are the Christ. You are the Son of God. You are, in fact, my Lord and my Savior. Because this changes everything. This is love that we have forgiveness in him. Mary was all about finding the dead body of Jesus. Tell me where you have laid him, and I'll go get him. Can you imagine this dead body? She's come at her very earliest, first opportunity to prepare this body for burial. And it's overdue because of the delay of not being, able to do it any, not being allowed to do it any sooner. And to make matters worse, now they've stolen his body. Where did they take it is her only thought. But that was not the case. And as Jesus instructed her, don't cling to me. It wasn't that he shouldn't be physically touched. We have several examples after the resurrection of which Jesus actually encouraged his being touched. Put your hand here in the hole in my side. Touch with your finger the hole in my hand and see that it is in fact I. And Jesus ate with the disciples after the resurrection. He was very physically resurrected. The purpose of his ministry on earth had now transitioned from the road that led to the cross to the final preparations of the, of the disciples and the start of the New Testament church as you and I know it. And he was very soon going to be ascending back into heaven. Time was of the essence. Do not cling to me. The relationship that Jesus had while on earth with the people whom he interacted like Mary Magdalene was now changing. It was now an eternal one. Someone has said that for the Christian, to die is, is to die knowing you will live forever. It is passing from life into life. It is never having to say goodbye, but I'll see you later. One Christian singer saying, Christian, or saying uh, heaven is a long hello. Another significant change that happens when we recognize Jesus is that Christ, uh, as the Christ is that his Father becomes our Father. His God becomes our God. Isn't that awesome? So you go tell the disciples. You go find them, and you be the messenger, the one that gets a report, the herald that announces that, that I am he and that I have risen and that my father is your father. I'm going to my father and your father, my God and your God. That means that we can cry out to God, Abba, Father, Daddy, Papa. Why? Because Jesus said we could. This changes everything. And Mary had a job. <laughs> uh, she was getting to share the good news. Later in Luke 24, two of the disciples were on a road that led to Emmaus. And Jesus, preventing them from recognizing him, walked with them and allowed them to tell him all about his own crucifixion, death, and burial. They tell him that to make matters worse... Some of their women had found the tomb empty and had come back claiming to have seen angels in the empty tomb, but him they did not see, they told Jesus. Their confidence in Mary's report reeked of skepticism. Telling others about Jesus, turning them into disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, those are our marching orders. Those are our, that, that's our privilege to get to tell people about Jesus. Next, we see that our sins are forgiven. Verses 19 through 23 says this, On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. 
And he said this, as he said this, he showed them his hands and side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Real quick, like Jesus had the ability after the resurrection to physically pass through locked doors. Can you imagine? No wonder they, they were uh, scared when he arrived and he gave them the familiar greeting, peace be unto you. I mean, what would you think if somebody walked right through that wall right now and walked right in here up to us? Would we not be alarmed, especially if we had known that that person had recently been crucified as Jesus had been? Pretty awesome. Uh, he no doubt slept. We know that he ate. He did all the earthly things he had done before, leading up to the death, burial, and resurrection he did afterwards. And that's significant because I want you to note this. We're talking about a physical resurrection of his earthly body from the grave. That's important because it's more than just kind of, a, you know, well, he, he lives within my heart. We're keeping his memory alive kind of living. No, this is a physical resurrection of the grave. He still had the holes in his hands. He still had the wound in his side. He could pass through walls and doors, but he could also still eat. Some of that mystery there of, of Jesus and his physical body and yet God as well. In Luke 24, he said to his disciples, who could only surmise that they were seeing a ghost, touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And then it says he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. The word pneuma means breath, and the name therefore spirit for Holy Spirit. And throughout the Old and the New Testament, we see the Holy Spirit represented as, as a breath, as a wind. And it's God who breathed life into Adam. And now it's as if this is a second chance, a new start, a new beginning, a new testament, if you will, in which they're getting this breath of the Holy Spirit. They are about to embark on an incredible challenge that you and I are part of today, and that is taking the gospel to the entire world. And today, we have the same Holy Spirit dwelling within us, and it is phenomenal. He says, if you forgive sins, they'll be forgiven. If you don't forgive them, they won't be forgiven. Now, it, very clearly, Jesus had said, you know, no one can forgive sins but God alone. And what he's basically saying there is that it's been put on the, the disciples and the church, for that matter, on you and me. People's forgiveness of their sins kind of rests in our hands because if we don't tell them the good news, how will they know? And we have the incredible opportunity, an incredible, uh, powerful responsibility to share with people the good news that can lead them toward a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Can you imagine, 100 years after you're in heaven, someone comes up to you and says, thank you for what? For sharing the good news with me about Jesus. That's why I became a follower of his. That's why I was baptized into his name, into his death, and his burial, and his resurrection. That's why I have followed him obediently and subscribed to all of his uh, commandments. And that's why I'm here today, because you shared the good news with me. I want, I want to hear those words. I, I want to I run into people in heaven because with, with the gift of the Holy Spirit, I'm proclaiming the word of God. Um, 
Romans 5, 8 says, God demonstrates his own love toward us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Next, you have peace. Thomas, it says, starting with verse 24, Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, which means twin, one of the twelve was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We've seen the Lord! Remember, Mary had said those same words, and they were like, (laughs) some women came and said, you know. uh, but, But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, here we go again, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand. Put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet have believed. General Wellington led the European forces in the Great Battle of Waterloo, which ended the Napoleonic War. And after that victory, he had good news to share with England. And the way they communicated back then across the con- from one continent to the next was they had communication stations set up. And basically, they would hold up a sign, uh, and then they would read it, and then they would hold up the sign and pass it on to the next station, and then they would hold it up, and they'd get word all the way back to England. But as we saw this morning with a great fog, there was a great fog that day, And the sign that was supposed to say Napoleon defeated at Waterloo simply said Napoleon, I'm sorry, Wellington defeated uh, Napoleon at Waterloo. Instead, it just said Wellington defeated. Wellington defeated. Can you imagine? And then as the fog wore away, they completed the message. And it made a lot more sense. It was a lot happier message. Wellington defeated Napoleon at Waterloo. Yay! (laughs) On Good Friday, defeat. John and Peter leaving the empty tomb. Empty. But today is a day of celebration. Because without the death and without the burial, there can be no resurrection to celebrate and there can be no forgiveness of our sins. It is an exciting story to share. And that gives us great peace. There are some concluding comments in the, in the last two verses that tell the whole reason why John took the time, why God inspired him to write his gospel account of the life of Christ. He says this, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name, that you may have life, that you may have life. If, if, if we had each person that witnessed the resurrected Lord come up here this morning and take the time, as John has done, to share their uh, testimony of Jesus' resurrection and how they had seen him after, after he was raised from the dead. If we listen to the testimony, and if each one of them averaged 15 minutes, of all the people that Jesus appeared to, we would be here all day and all night, <laughs> and all Monday, and all Tuesday night, and all Wednesday, and all of Thursday, and some of Friday morning. 
they would finally begin to be wrapping up their testimonies. It would take, as I've read, over 128 straight hours just to hear on an average of 15 minutes each, each person who saw Jesus after the resurrection tell about their experience of seeing him. And that's just what's in the Bible, you know, the biblical people uh, that, that saw him. There's all kinds of secular history as well that supports the fact that Jesus was seen afterward. Max Locato, in his book, Six Hours, One Friday, tells a story of a missionary in Brazil who discovered a tribe in a remote part of the jungle. They lived near a large river, and they believed that there were evil spirits in the water, and that if you got in the water, it would mean certain death for you. The missionary explained how he had crossed the river in order to get to them, and he was unharmed, and they would be as well, and that they could follow him, but they were not impressed. (laughs) This missionary then went to the bank, and he placed his hands in the water, and he said, See, you can do it. There are no evil spirits here. You will not die. And they did not follow him. He walked into the water up to his waist. He splashed water on his face. It did not matter to them. They were still afraid. They thought he was crazy. And no way they were going to follow him into that evil spirit-ridden river, the river of death, as it was called. Finally, he dove into the water. He swam beneath the surface of the water. He swam all the way to the other side, to the bank. He got out, and he climbed up, and he looked over at them, and and, and these tribes broke into cheers, and then they followed him across. Isn't that what Jesus did for us? He entered the river of death. He came out on the other side so that we might no longer fear death, but find eternal life in him. When you recognize Jesus as the risen Savior, it changes everything. This is love. Uh, Romans 5.8 says, God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Not once we got good enough, not once he felt sorry enough for us, not once we begged and pleaded enough. It says, while we were still sinners, Christ came and he died for us. And it's already been done, and he's already proved he can conquer death in the grave, and he's back in heaven, and he's preparing a place for you and me. Don't let your place in heaven sit empty because you delayed accepting that incredible gift. Pray with me. Father God, we thank you for your awesome love. I thank you, Lord, for the Easter story that is absolutely true. I thank you, God, that the greatest story ever told is not fiction, and that, God, every one of us, young and old, male and female, rich and poor, all of us, God, can be called sons and daughters of the King of all kings. That's pretty incredible. And so, God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for his acceptance of us, that, God, Through his blood, he makes us as if we were worthy to stand before you and you don't see our sins. God, that's an incredible story. Thank you for grace. We do not deserve it. But God, I pray that in this room, in this moment, that you would have your way and that those who need humbled to admit that they are sinners in need of a Savior would do so. That God, that those who are too humble and timid, God, that you'd give them the encouragement and the confidence that they need to finally cross the line of faith and to make your son, Jesus, Jesus, not only the Son of God and the Lord of all, but God, they make him their personal Savior as well. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.